do we have a labor shortage? Is there a shortage of people or is there just a shortage of talented, skilled, qualified people? Two questions, because are there enough warm bodies, enough people who can fog a mirror? I was talking about that 25 years ago. Or are there people that are willing to work, are qualified to work? Is the labor shortage the result of bad recruiting, hiring, and management practices? Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Cochran. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization, a podcast from the People Forward Network. I'm Ira Wolf. Hey, and I'm Jason Cochran. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. And if you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the front of crucial conversations focused on helping you reimagine your tomorrow and talking about, discussing, learning about the convergence of business, technology, and people. In this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about a question I am asked at least once a day uh, for the last several months, maybe the last several years, in fact, about where have all the workers gone? And uh, just yesterday, I spoke to a client and, you know, I think that everybody understands it. Uh, everybody takes things for granted. But I was speaking to a cli client and he asked me if the labor shortages are a myth. Uh, are they something the government concocted, consultants concoct, um, just to, I, I guess, make sense of it, to make money, to, to help explain it? Or, and this is, I, I really appreciated this side of the question, or is it the result of bad company policies and practices? I, I guess the best summation of this was one of my favorite people, and hopefully a friend, uh, Tracy Parsons. She, you remember Jason, she was a guest uh, on Geek Skeezers and Googleization. She's a founder and CEO of WorkDrive. She's certainly outspoken, and she wrote a really brilliant piece the other day. She published on her blog, her WorkDrive, and then she published it on uh, LinkedIn. So I, I pulled this paragraph because it's one of those paragraphs, I wish I wrote it. <laughs> I think it all the time, but I wish I wrote it. We are continually, this is, this is from Tracy Parsons. We are continually turning people over, burning people out, and treating them as disposable. If we are to continue to favor new talent over growing our own, if we are going to keep spraying and praying jobs out into the universe, it is honestly a zero-sum game. We can't continue to operate this way. We can't continue to believe that we can just dump more names into the top of the hiring funnel. Completely agree. Yeah. I, it, go ahead. I mean, the, Ira, as you're talking about this, I'm I'm just thinking through like practical, real day, e everyday things that are happening that I'm seeing that's even worse now than it was a year ago. And one of those things are fast food lines. Um, it made national news just a few weeks ago that now on average across the United States, if you're in a fast food line to get food, it's taking two to three times longer than it did a year ago. And it's because you're lucky if you have two people inside there working, one person to take orders and one, one person trying to run the entire kitchen to get the orders ready. 
And what was fascinating was I just saw a thing here. Shout out to Taco Bell. We always want to shout out companies that, like Tracy alluded to, are trying to get ahead of the problem. I just saw this made the news yesterday. They launched a brand new Taco Bell restaurant in Minnesota. I think it's in the Minneapolis area. It is now two stories tall and it has four drive through uh, fast food lanes. And so now you basically don't interact with a human at all. They've got automation set up inside there that prepares the meals. And then there's this thing called a food tube. So those who are just listening, you can't see, but you imagine the old days when you went to the bank and you had the tubes that brought the, the coin jars down and everything that you put things in. You're showing your age, that. Jason. And, and you're, <laughs> you're showing your age and you're pretty, you're a young guy compared to me. So <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, that's, that's the kind of stuff we got to start thinking through is, yeah, we, we absolutely have to treat employees better. And we have to listen to them, provide them what they actually need. But we also are at this important juncture too, where if we don't have great jobs that people want to do, we need companies to start thinking through things that they can automate to take away those types of jobs that clearly the next generation is saying no thanks to. Just Again, you just prompted my, you just triggered something that I, I wanted to talk about and then I forgot because there's a million other things going on. Uh, we live in, you know, VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. So that, that's been, uh, that's our days. Two things. Uh, one is I called, uh, we're trying to get some landscaping done, nothing major, a little cleanup, get our patio regrouted and, 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 and uh, you know, do some mulching and trimming of shrubs and things. And uh, it was, it's almost two months. And they said, you know, we couldn't do it till the beginning of June. And so I'm, I was OK with that. And this is probably a story that's repeated over and over again. And so I, I last week I said, hey, how are we doing on the schedule? And he goes, we're having it really backed up because we're having trouble finding enough people. We just can't find enough people. And the people we're finding are not staying. So there's, there's two sides of that story is they are being able to hire people, but then they're leaving. And why are they leaving? Is it more money or is he not a good boss? I don't know. But uh, so, again, we, you know, as, as I, I told you, we're just having the, the house power wash today. Young guy. One of the myths is, is Gen Z just doesn't have a good work attitude. Here's a young guy. He's a high school student. Um, his he he pitched something on Nextdoor. If you're familiar with Nextdoor, the app, you know, community thing. He was looking for power washing, had no clue. He was a high school student, very professional, comes out, gives me an estimate. estimate. Uh, and then we start talking and I find out he's only like 17 years old. He's a junior in high school or he's going into senior year. Somehow we got on to even talking about this podcast and about business. And and he was fascinated by it. He just, oh, you do a podcast. And he, he comes back today and he's listening to our episodes and talking about it and how much he's learning. That to me is not a lazy um, Gen Z sitting around in his parents' basement, worried about games and, and an entrepreneur at heart, you know, for sure. The other part of that, there was just an article this morning, very similar to what you talked about on Taco Taco Bell. By the way, the Taco Bell is nothing new. If for anybody, many, many of our listeners may be familiar with Tom, uh, Tom Friedman, Thomas Friedman, you know, wrote The World is Flat. In The World is Flat, I remember reading that book on the way to visit a client out in Missouri. Uh, it was a hospital system. And this was, uh, it was probably about 2004, 2005, somewhere around there. And as I'm reading the book, uh, they're talking about a McDonald's. And uh, the, the 
and it was like, wow, it was in this little, and it's a relatively small town. I think there were 30 or 40, 50,000 people in, in, in the, in the, in the community. So it wasn't a big city. And they're talking about that right in front of one of the hotels, motels is this McDonald's and it's right off the interstate. And because they couldn't find people, enough people back then, what they were doing is, is when you drove up through the drive-through, the order was taken by a call center in Nebraska. And they were working with a lot of the fast food franchises because they couldn't find people late at night. They couldn't get to work the night shifts because it's on the interstate. They wanted to be open 24 hours a day. And so you basically spoke to someone in states away, could have been another country for that matter. And they would take the order and they would process it to the person who was, who was at the fryer or, you know, cooking. Uh, and then they had, they only had two employees. They had somebody cooking and somebody at the, at the drive up window to take your money and deliver it. Um, but the, but the person at the drive up window wasn't taking your order yep. to facilitate that. That was almost 20 years ago. And then we sort of got away from it. And that we're going to be talking about that today with the perfect labor storm and talent and some of the trends that are going on that people said, oh, there's enough people because we had a downturn and we, you know, we're basically 20 years ago. So the millennials were just coming into the workforce. Uh, people got to, even though people complained about them and the poor work ethic, there was a large, it was the largest generation um, in history that we've had in the US. So they're even larger than the baby boomers. So we had this flood of people. And even if only half of them were were competent and, and qualified and, and dependable, it was still more than what we had from Gen X because Gen X was a really small population. So we had this influx of people and it masked all the problems that we're having. So, but but fast food and companies got away and they said, no, no, we're gonna hire people and we're gonna fill up the slops. And now, the pandemic pulled back the curtain on this and there's all these shortages and they don't have people. So they've cut hours, they've got services. Uh, we were just out, you know, we were down uh, vacationing in Ocean City, Maryland. And when we were down there, walked into every, walked into this restaurant and I, I actually should have brought this sign. And I don't remember exactly what it says, but it, it was basically, we're, Unfortunately, we are understaffed, but don't take it out on the on the on the servers. You know? um, but one after one, I mean, they have just to give you an instance. Ocean City, Maryland, prime time. They make if, if they're not busy, if they're not staffed, they're not open long hours. They're not providing service to all the to the tourists that are coming. Then um, they're in trouble. Is this is they only make money four or five months out of the year. They had 4,000 jobs created this year. 1,600 are filled. Wow. 2,400 are open. We walked the boardwalk on Memorial Day night. Now, it's that's typically not the busiest time as people are in school, and but it used to be. At one time, you know, Memorial Day weekend was the start of summer. We walked the boardwalk. I would say a third maybe more of the places were closed Memorial Day night. They didn't have staff. The crowds weren't there. They, they, some of these places, it was a French fry place called Thrashers, you know, for anybody who goes to Ocean City, you're familiar with it. It's a famous place. Other little locations up and down the boardwalk, 40, almost 40 blocks of boardwalk were all closed. The only one that was open was their main one. That's the only place that they can staff. But one after another, 
uh, the restaurants that I lived there for five years and had a plate, you know, and used to go down there for almost 20 years. The places that used to be open till midnight and beyond one, two o'clock in the morning were closing at nine o'clock at night. Yep. You know, Ira, as you're sharing those things, I'm thinking back to our episode we had a few weeks ago with Kate Lister who is one of the global thought leaders on remote work. She's the president and CEO of Global Workforce Analytics. And I can't help but think we have so many people now who do not want to be tethered to a location to their job. Whether it's they got a taste of being able to work remotely or they're seeing and hearing from friends and family members who do have that luxury of being able to do remote work in some capacity that these jobs that are requiring people to drive in, be tethered to a location for eight hours a day and then drive home, that just is not very appealing, especially when you couple that with, this is a big point too, gas that costs five to $6 a gallon now on average across the United States. Josh Burson had a hilarious post on LinkedIn um, where he posted a picture of what the gas prices are at the gas station. And he said, this is the best remote work marketing campaign I've ever seen in the history of mankind. And it's absolutely true. Um, and so just the the number of forces right now, the things that you predicted 20 years ago that would eventually lead to this perfect labor storm, it's all happening at the same time. It's not happening in phases. It's a fluctuation of bad cultures, bad workplace policies, jobs that people don't want to do anymore. The fact that we don't have automation up to scale at the point that we probably should have had it um, ready for these things to take over some of these, you know, tedious jobs that people don't want to do anymore and gas prices that make it more challenging for people to drive into work for lower wage jobs. Now that they're making less margin on their gross pay, all of these things. And it just is absolutely fascinating. And you just got to touch on this too. I think this is very fascinating regarding technology and automation. There's a lot of things that we've figured out that are working really well with it. For instance, you were referencing uh, many years ago at the McDonald's how to speed up getting the orders in that they have the call centers do it. Well, now what they have is they have self-service kiosks. You go in, you just type in a few buttons, get your order in, great. Or you do it through your phone, mobile order, right? The piece that isn't up to snuff yet is the automation to actually cook the food, prepare it, put it in packages, and then deliver it to people. Now it's it's starting there. We're in the infancy stages. Where I'm going with this is artificial intelligence. Just when we think, hey, we're on the verge of artificial intelligence being able to solve a lot of our problems, things come out where we realize we're still a little ways away from having that perfected. And the the evidence I have for you that I want to you know pick your brain on is at the University of Texas, they're running an experiment with some AI bots on the ability to recognize pictures and communicate with each other about what those pictures are. Well, it turns out that those AIs came up with their own language. They went beyond the protocols of using English to communicate with each other and created their own secret language to communicate back and forth with each other. And the researchers found it and they're completely baffled. You know, it's one of those things that say, yes, we're glad we have automation on the way, but we still have a long ways to go to figure out automation. And so I, I think, and I, I'd love to get your opinion on this, 
when we think about what's the path of least resistance that can help the most right now, to me, it's creating better workplaces, you know, working on the things that most people say motivate them to get up and go work and feel like they have a meaningful job. Those are the things I think that most companies are probably going to have to rely on while they also concurrently are projecting into the future of having a strategic plan three, five years down the road of hopefully automation coming into play to help with some of those jobs. But in terms of the, the here and now, focusing on employee experience and making that uh, focused on the things that your specific workforce find appealing and strengthen your employer brand seems like the shortest path to trying to overcome these labor shortages. Well, that's agree? Uh, absolutely. And that zero is it right back in. Do we have a labor shortage? Is there a shortage of people? One is, is there a shortage of people or is there just a shortage of talented, skilled, qualified people? Two questions, because are there enough warm bodies enough people who can fog a mirror. We, I, I was talking about that 25 years ago. You know, that was what some of the cues, you know, people were, companies were hiring people who can either fog a mirror or uh, had, you know, had a temperature. Uh, and some companies are going back to that. They're dropping all their criteria. And it's like, we just need people. We just need bodies. And that's affecting service. And it's not, that's not a long-term solution. So, but there is a question is, do we have enough people? If everybody was skilled and we had a good education reskilling system and everybody was distributed even where all the jobs were because we have a maldistribution aspect of it, it's complicated. Uh, or are there people that are willing to work, are qualified to work, they're willing to move, uh, or they don't have to move because they can do it remotely. Is the labor shortage the result of bad recruiting, hiring, and management practices? And the old, and this, that was the question I had yesterday, which is really the right question. And it's a combination of both. We have an acute shortage of people. We are, are we used to have a, a our population, and people can't see this as I'm describing it, but uh, people we had a people pyramid. We had a population pyramid that the largest percentage of of people was the base. And that was like zero to four years old. And we had a high infant mortality, high infant morbidity rate. And then, you know, it, it went up. And then by the time it got to 65, there was just a little spindle uh, of people up there. That was sort of life pre-1950s, before the baby boomers. And then it started to shift a little bit because we had so many baby boomers and they were moving into that middle area. So now all of a sudden we had a bulge in the middle that the biggest part of, of the pyramid was becoming the center of the, the working age population between 18 and 65. And still the, the older gap was in the, the older piece was not a spindle anymore. It was becoming more of a triangle, but over 70 years, it now became a barbell. All is verging on a barbell. Now we have a large dependent population because there's still, we still, we, we, well, at least we had a lot of immigration. We had the Gen Z was going to be a fairly large uh, population. And then we had a growing older population, 65 years old. And I certainly can relate to that. They're continuing to live longer. My mother's almost 99 years old. Hearing you, you just lost a grandmother in, in her 90s. Um, Everybody has family, which used to be the exception. 
everybody now has family in the 90s, 80s, 90s, sometimes even to the hundreds. They require care. They, re they require support. They require more health care, but they require more supporting. But even the 70 and 80 year olds aren't slowing down. They're vacationing. They're buying second homes. They're buying luxury items. They're enjoying their life. Uh, or they're moving. I mean, even if they're downsizing and let's say, hey, they are downsizing, they're slowing down, but you need people to help them move. They need real estate. They're still going out to eat. There's still a lot. There's a lot of expendable money. So there's all these things going on. So the population has dramatically shifted and people are still operating like we have this people pyramid. And you've heard me say this, and I said this facetiously, and I wish I, I, I remember the, the, the person's name who said this. He was a speaker at a conference uh, about staffing. And he said, you do realize that employers use staffing firms out of desperation when they couldn't, when enough people weren't applying to their business. And this was before the pandemic, when people weren't applying to their business, they would reach out to recruiters and staffers for help. So when they screwed it up or they couldn't get enough people or they didn't, they, they would reach, they would outsource it, which was fine. It, it was a good service. But the expectation was, it's not that they were the experts or better equipped to do it. The expectation was that staffing firms had people trees on people farms and that they can just go out and harvest the people, shake the trees and people would fall out with when the reality was is, everybody was pulling from the same population. Maybe staffing firms and recruiters were better at finding those people, identifying those people, attracting those people, and then being able to, 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 be, to you can hire them and, and, and send, technically purchase or rent those people from staffing firms. But when the entire population dries up, it's not because you were bad recruiters, it was, or bad a hiring practice, or maybe it was a bad culture and nobody wanted to work there. So you outsource that part to go, well, we're really a bad culture. We're not going to change that. Maybe you can find the people that want to work in a crappy company. But when there's no people for anyone, that's a problem. And that's really where we are now. The numbers just don't add up. And that makes me think of the matrix. When you said people farms, it's making me think of plucking people off these farms because we just need warm bodies. The, I think the other piece, too, as you were talking that just triggered this for me, Ira, is we don't often talk about this enough, but the number of lives that were lost because of COVID, even prior to the lives lost to COVID, the number of people that are no longer with us over the last couple of years, even prior to that happening, all of the trends regarding world population as we were declining, even though people were living longer, the next generation's are waiting longer to have kids and they're having fewer kids. So we have been dealing with the shrinking world population. And then that just got accelerated by the number of lives of people that we unfortunately lost over the last couple of years because of this novel virus. And so, it, it, you know, it's just this, it feels like it's just, just this constant struggle of asking the question of where are the people? I think Gad Levinen, a former guest of the show also uh, posted something interesting and you mentioned it briefly of the number of people in their 20s that are participating in the labor force, males in particular, uh, that number's declining. And he shared on his LinkedIn post, and you've got the graphic up there. Yeah, this picture is perfect, uh, Ira, but it shows basically that the guys in particular, men in their 20s, 
that got their college degree, a lot of them are staying home with their parents because the labor market isn't that good. And it's a lot cheaper to stay home with mom and dad and take time to figure out as to what you want to do than to go out and get a job um, that maybe doesn't pay as much as you'd like, that doesn't really make you feel like you're living out your purpose. So bottom line, we just have a lot more people, according to Gad and the statistics he runs, a lot more younger people that are opting to stay at home a little bit longer. And so they don't feel that pull of, I have to go out and find a job that pays $70,000 to pay bills because they're staying longer at home with mom and dad um, and having possibly meals provided or, you know, we're not having a mortgage to pay for those things. And so that yet is, is another factor that's making it challenging many times when these companies say they're struggling with, with finding people in the workforce. We're approaching where we need to take a break, uh, Jason. So I, I just want to, but I want to continue on this male participation rate thing. And then when we come back, we'll follow up with that. And we can talk a little bit about the perfect labor service. This is just one small part of it. And people can say, okay, well, that's males between the age of 25 and 34. What about everybody else? But every one of these takes away a couple hundred thousand, maybe a million people. And in the scheme of things, when you got 130 million people, 140 million people in the workforce, you go, what's losing 1 million? But if you lose 1 million because they don't have childcare, 1 million because they're living at home and they don't have to work, 1 million because they're disabled, 1 million because they're incarcerated, 1 million because they're on opioid addiction, that starts to add up. And when you when you start looking and people say, well, how do we we're not we don't have three percent unemployment we have there are there are industries and businesses that have zero unemployment Cybersecurity, and you've heard me say this a couple of times and we've heard this from avanti and, and other groups so cybersecurity industry is zero unemployment they're underwater they have currently six hundred thousand openings today and within the next three years, by 2025, they're anticipating 3.5 million new jobs. It's just, again, how fast things happen. I believe it was just this morning, maybe yesterday, Citigroup, the bank. I mean, banks, everybody's laying off people. They're cutting back. Citibank's hiring 4,000 tech workers, primarily data scientists. Now, you, you mentioned GAD. GAD had just released a report through Conference Board. Uh, right before he left Conference Board, he was working on this. Now he's at the uh, Burning Glass Institute. Uh, but they just released the report, and they talked about the, the – they, they looked at the demand. They looked at the demand for the jobs. They looked at the difficulty in reskilling or, or educating people to move into those jobs. And it's wild. Um, let me, I'm going to, I'll take that away. It's really wild uh, because what's happened is that there is this, just this growing gap that possibly, that just can't be filled, uh, you know, with people because we've got this onion that keeps, we, we, again, people deflect and they go, oh, it's Gen Z. Okay. So, you take out a couple, a million Gen Z that's doesn't, it has a bad attitude and bad work ethic. But what about, and people are still complaining about millennials, but as I said, you go into caregiving, you go into male participation rates, you go into women who can't go back to the workforce. And now 
we threw this wrench, this elephant into the room with remote work and hybrid work that people are saying, I'm not going back to work uh, at that company. Uh, and the decision to go like Elon Musk is you've got to come back to work or you're fired. You're coming back to the office or you're fired. Is that a good move or a bad move? Maybe for Elon Musk, maybe for a Google, maybe for an Apple, maybe for a, a Facebook, a Meta, um, maybe for an Amazon, that people really, and we're not talking the frontline jobs, we're talking the tech jobs. Maybe people say, we want that experience. We want that on my resume. We want that opportunity to have that. So maybe they can get away with it. But the average mom-pop store, the fast food stores, the retail stores, the hospitality, there's way too many opportunities. And if a job can be done remotely, as you said, why am I paying six or seven dollars a gallon of gas? And they're expecting it may even go to eight dollars over the, you know, before the end of the summer. Uh, an insidious problem is I want to take my family on vacation, but I need gas money. We, we want to save that money, but I'm going to spend the money that we could be taking my family on vacation to commute when I don't have to. Now, think about the resentment that's going to build from people that every time they fill up their tank of gas or pay the transportation costs, however they get to work, knowing that they wouldn't have to be doing that if their employer would have a reasonable, we're not saying to be 100% remote or 100% in person, but a reasonable hybrid plan, then it's one less thing that's going to frustrate or annoy or entice somebody to quit. And when people were quitting, it used to be that you could have a revolving door only if there was enough people to come back into the funnel. It's like a flywheel. You're throwing people out, but if you don't have enough people to come in and that's your reputation, then eventually it's not a zero sum game. <laughs> You're at a loss. So it's pretty crazy. I, I wanna close just with this because I was thinking out of it a couple of times. We, we talked about Taco Bell. We talked about McDonald's. We talked about automation. Uh, there is a pizza shop. There's a pizza chain now that has automate. They are automating it. The pizza, you go in, you order from a robot. The robot cooks it. Um, you pick it up. The robot delivers it. Um, there's a robotic um, bar bartender, which is actually a couple of years old at this point. But Amazon just opened their first self-service retail store. Not a grocery store because they, they've been talking that for a while. A retail store that like when you go to Amazon now and you order something, they always come back. Well, other people ordered these products. They're now when you pick an item up, you can scan it and it will recommend other items to go with it. And a per, there was a, somebody who wrote the column, wrote the story about it. Is that I will never, ever go back into a normal traditional retail store because she loved all the recommendations now other people may have a different criteria maybe if you're going for a, a you know a higher level uh or you know more expensive you want to be catered to but when you run into a kohl's or a target or you know you're just going into a sam's or a costco and you're going to pick up a few items or things and they're saying hey you should buy this with this and you don't have to do it online but now you're doing in the retail store because it's all automated. Uh, that changes that changes the experience. That changes the whole experience, and that's where we are. So uh, I'm loving this conversation. Uh, we talk every week, Jason, how fast it goes. This one just blew by. I just looked at the clock, and it was like, 
whoa, what happened to our time here? Uh, so uh, I hope everybody else is enjoying the conversation. But we're going to take a real quick break here. Uh, you're listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're talking about the finding talent, accessing talent, retaining talent in the perfect labor storm. And a lot of the dynamics that are going out there, uh, trying to answer the question is, where have all the workers gone? And is the labor shortage a myth? And hopefully you're understanding that it's not. It's a very re real thing. So we're going to come back. We're going to continue that conversation. And um, we'll give you a couple suggestions suggestions and recommendations, uh, hopefully tips of what you can do. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock, and there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, Adaptability.expert. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We're having a great time today, great discussion about the perfect labor storm. Where have all the workers gone? Uh, Jason got me started on a few rants, and I uh, appreciate that, Jason. I just want to, before we go there, we just uh, heard about uh, the adaptability and just want to put a reminder out for a couple things. One is we really appreciate everybody being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not a part of Googleization Nation yet, please do so. You can go to Googleization Nation. Dot com. I'll try to put the banner up here in just a minute. Uh, we'll run that across. It's free and uh, you'll get updates. Uh, and We're going to become much more active in building that community. Uh, and you'll learn about uh, some recent events and recent podcasts and special interviews and things that aren't included or that we had to cut out of, of some of our uh, other interviews there and uh, some additional resources. Also, uh, let me just find this here a second. The uh, AQ Plus mindset is now launched it's live if you'd like to get a demo um, i'm displaying the screen here uh, for those who can create uh, capture the qr code uh, you can get a demo of that you'll get a, a couple a couple uh, daily uh, reminders what the program looks like if you're interested in the, thir the full 30-day program you can please reach out to me or go to aqplusmindset.com. That's aqplusmindset.com. And you can learn about the program, what's included. And we're right, right now offering an introductory special where you not only get the AQ Plus Growth Mindset, but you'll get the AQ Plus re Resilience and a few other bonuses uh, for free uh, with that. And then the next thing is, we forgot to mention early on, Jason, we just sort of dove into this, that you can now get certification credits from SHRM, recertification credits from SHRM 
for listening to the podcast. And you can either capture the QR code here, uh, or you can reach out to Jason or myself and we'll send you the questionnaire that just to prove that you listen to it, ask, we ask a few questions, what you learned, and then we will send you the activity ID that you can earn between a half uh, and a full credit uh, for that. So hopefully that uh, you'll be able to proceed with that. So Jason, right before we, we left, we were talking about uh, male participation rate, how that dropped out. There's another significant one that GAD, and I thank GAD for providing all this information. Uh, as, as you know, I'm a kind of a labor stat geek. Uh, I'm going to push show this up here now. But this is the percentage of, of the workforce, uh, people not in the workforce between 25 and 64 years old uh, due to a disability. And, and that's been a problem. Uh, and again, but now that a lot of jobs can be done remotely, there's a lot of skilled people. Maybe they just didn't have the mobility to get the work, but they certainly can do technical jobs or, or do the remote jobs, call center jobs. Um, I mean, there's a lot of jobs that, that can be done remotely that you just don't need people in person anymore. But look at the increase since nine, over the last 25 years, 26 years, uh, you know, it went from uh, people with a high school degree uh, who are now on disability. And you, again, we talk about peeling the onion. What happened to all the people uh, is that it used to be uh, a little shy of 5% in 1995 of people that had a high school degree uh, who were not in the workforce due to a disability. Now it's uh, close to 10%, almost double. Yeah, almost double. Uh, if you look at the... Um, between high school and some college. So this is this is a prime area. This, this is a key area. It used to be about 3%. Now it's uh, almost 5% uh, or uh, almost 6%. So it's almost double on that as well. So uh, again, we're, we're for a lot of the jobs that are open, we lose them because for whatever reason, males are participating, are not participating as much. Uh, you know, the overall male participation rate used to be uh, used to be uh, close to 90% of all males uh, between the ages of uh, 25 and 54 had a job. Uh, today, uh, that number has dropped to 67%. It's even lower now. Uh, so there's, especially when you start including the younger people, uh, you, just as we showed, we, we, we look at the male population between 25 and 34, and there's more and more people living at home, so they don't feel the need or the demand to, to, to either get a job or show up for a job or retain that job. Uh, it's not a matter of staying home and, and saving money. They are, but, but some of the urgency uh, to do that, they're not married. Uh, so a lot of males. I've been uh, I've been doing this series uh, with uh, John Aiden Byrne on his Dig Like Deep series, uh, his podcast. A recent episode he had uh, about the collapse of Newark, and it's really uh, New York, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, and you know, a lot of people blame the riots and they blamed low economy, but uh, he talks about uh, jo Jack uh, Cashel, uh, C H C H A S H I L L. I highly recommend you look the series up, Dig Like Deep. Um, it was the episode two weeks ago, and it was about the, the collapse of Newark. But within that, he talked about the collapse of the family unit and how government incentives uh, in the 50s and 60s incented lower income and especially black uh, males to leave the family because the intact 
family couldn't receive support. They couldn't receive medical assistance or welfare. So the only way that the, the mother and the child could receive benefits was if the male left. They had to be only one parent living in the home. He got into a lot more details. He's more of the expert on that, but I'd highly recommend going, going, looking at the uh, Dig Life Deep podcast series uh, by John Aiden Byrne. Uh, I'm doing a future shock uh, five-minute uh, series on that each week, uh, each of his episodes. But the episode about the decline and the collapse of uh, Newark, New Jersey, uh, was really sharp. So I highly recommend that you go up and and look at that. And I can tell you, Ira, what you're talking about there, what gets me excited about is one of the new solutions I think that's coming around is this idea of the democratization of coaching and upskilling. And that is for so long, and I know this was the case for me in school and probably for you too, was you just went to college and your counselor is like, you know, well, what do you want to do? And, you know, you're asking, what should I do? And they're like, well, it doesn't really matter. Just go to college. You'll figure it out. (laughs) It's like now we're in this place where yeah, there are still some jobs where it's really important to have a college degree, like if you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, accountant, those things. But for a lot of jobs we're talking about that are out there in the labor market, you don't need maybe a full college education. You just need certificate programs to give you the requisite skills in order to do the job well. And so I think we're also in this really exciting time where we're thinking about the conceptualization of what does it mean to democratize coaching? What does it mean to break down and just focus on the specific skills that are needed to get certain types of tasks done. And how quickly can we get people up to speed to do those things? And because of the way the labor market is, I think it has really pushed the demand that direction. Now, one other thing, I I just think we need to caution certain employers. We've been throwing out some pretty big names today, Ira, on the show in terms of employers, some on the positive end of things that are going on, some on the other end of that's not a good idea. One of the interesting things that's happening right now is the big R word is being thrown around, recession, um, regarding the economy. And some of these technology companies in particular are starting to rescind accepted offers to people who quit their jobs and said, oh, you accepted me. I'm who you're going to bring on to your tech company. They quit their jobs. Now the rug's being pulled out from underneath them by these tech companies saying, oh, we're worried about the recession. We're now just going to dissolve that job and that offer that we gave to you. Here's some of the technology companies where this is happening. These aren't small companies. Uber, Lyft, Coinbase, Netflix, Crypto.com. I bring that up to say, if you are an employer, if you're someone that's in the market of trying to hire people, the way that you act and behave right now is critically important. And if you are rescinding offers to people where it was already accepted, number one, that's a bad practice. But number two, if things happen where financially the runway isn't there and it has to be done, do it in a respectful way. Try to help that person if they quit their job, even though they're not going to work for your company, try to help them find another job. Do the human thing because it's not only the right thing to do, but Ira, as you and I know, we've lived long enough to see this happen. Your employer brand is at stake here and it's at stake, especially in critical moments in history like this, people are watching at how you respond and how you treat people. So if you want to come out on the other side 
if we do end up hitting a recession, whatever it is, if you want to come out on the other side of the challenges that are lying ahead of us, you better get back to some of the basic human practices of how you're treating people. And if you have to do some things that are unfortunate, there are other ways that you can still try and help that person. And those are the companies that will thrive even past these challenging times, because then those people, the Gen Z's talk to each other and they'll say, hey, even though this ended up being a lemon, a, a sour thing that happened to me here, the way they handled it and the way they treated me with dignity and respect, and then they reached out to try and find me another job somewhere else. That's a company that you want to work for. So I just wanted to throw that out there that all of this, even though there are some tough decisions that have to be made, leaders, you still need to lead with integrity and humanity and how we're treating people, not only because it's the right thing to do, but it also has to do with how tough your recruiting and staffing challenges will be a year or two from now in terms of how you're treating people in, in today's present economy. Sometimes people just don't learn. I mean, it's, o it's only two years ago that, you know, two years ago now, two years ago, um, last uh, March, April and and into June that companies were laying off. Were, people were, were going home. They had to shut down. We were in quarantine. So it seems like an eternity ago, but it was only two years ago. And the companies that took care of their people, they were concerned with their people. Uh, when they were laid off, uh, when it came time to come back or continue to work, those companies were more profitable, higher retention rates, uh, more engagement. Uh, people appreciated that. And the people that said, hey, we can't afford to keep you on the payroll anymore uh, unless we get federal support. They basically, it's like, hey, we weren't treated very well or we got our check, but we never heard from anybody. <laughs> Nobody really cared how we were doing. And the people and the companies that were checking in, the managers that were checking in on a regular basis of uh, those companies perform very, very well. And, but this is every time, this isn't new. I mean, it happens, it's happening more frequently now, the ups and downs and the layoffs and, and, and these cycles and acquisitions and mergers, the companies that treat people well, always fare better. And the people, the companies that don't, it's nothing new. It had nothing to do with the pandemic. It has nothing to do with the never normal world. Uh, we just, many of these companies never learned their lessons. Hey, we did get a comment back, talked about the conversation about perfect labor storm back when I published the book and we were in grad school. That's 20 some years, very insightful. So I appreciate that. And then a uh, nice compliment to Jason. So thanks, Stephen, really appreciate it. We, we say this all the time with other guests and, and here we are, there's so much more we can talk about. We'll have to do this again, Jason, <laughs> sometime. Uh, and I know we've talked about doing it more frequently and, and shorter episodes uh, uh, for all Googleization listeners or Googleization members and geek skeezers and Googleization listeners and watchers. Please stay tuned because I think you're, there's a couple of nice announcements that are going to come out in the in the near future. And we're going to have some special episodes and more frequent and shorter uh, broadcasts uh, as well during that time. I did want to do two th quick things before we leave. One is I, I, we didn't get a time to show this slide, but we mentioned on a few of these uh, when we talk about the perfect labor storm. I, again, as Stephen said, I've been talking about it. Uh, since 1999, I gave my first presentation to the Lancaster Chamber of Commerce in 1999, and I wish I I, I have it somewhere, but uh, we're actually a headline because it was talking about the labor shortages back then and the perfect labor storm that was coming. So 23, 24 years ago, 
I started to talk about, published the first book, uh, Perfect Labor Storm, in where we're, we're right there for people who can see it, Perfect Labor Storm, a uh, fact book. I used to, I was collecting all these facts, just as we talked about today, put them into a book, and then I republished it in 2007, which was the Perfect Labor Storm 2.0. So anybody that says, this just happened, it was the pandemic. No, you can go back, and some of my facts are passe. You may not even real, recognize them, but the trends and everything happened. Uh, over 20 years ago, and 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 the pandemic helped fulfill it. It just accelerated things uh, to get to that point. So it was coming down the pike. It's nothing new. It is real. But companies, you know, are going to be able to navigate it. But you're going to have to step up your practices, have a more of a growth mindset in the approach. It's not little tweaks at this point, and it's not temporary. It's really having a fresh outlook. And if you just want to, here's a graphic that I use uh, with it. And again, I know people can't see it, but basically it's, it's, it's over 20 different reasons why we have the factors that we have, why there's a shortage now. And it ranges from labor participation rates and skill gaps, education, childcare, to the pandemic, caregiving, literacy rates, opioid addiction, demographics, incarceration, maldistribution, baby boomers retiring and dying, technology, hybrid work, bad business practices. Again, people point their finger at one cloud and go, oh, it's, it's a bad cloud. If only that cloud wasn't following me. And the reality is there's 20. There's 20, and that's only, I'm scratching the surface there. There's 20 or more because I don't have disabled on there, uh, disabilities. And so there, there's many, many more reasons. And if each of those pulls off even 100,000 workers, it's a lot of people that we've lost in the workforce. That doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And there's ways that companies can get around it. So I'll get off my pedestal right now. If you want to hear more about the rants, I'd uh, love to talk about those. So if you have a business meeting or a conference, I'd uh, love to come in and, and share what we got. I'm doing a, another meeting tomorrow with Ceridian. I'm doing a couple of those. Uh, what's what's uh, Ceridian? They're sponsoring me to come in and, and talk to their client, their their clients and customers uh, about this. We, with the title of it's the Everywhere Workplace in the Never no Never Normal World. And then Jason, you and I, for companies that want the solution, not just to know why, how did we get into this mess? The No BS Culture. The No the right. BS stands for well, it's No BS. You shouldn't have any BS, but it's No Burnout and Stress. And uh, we had a great opportunity just a few weeks ago in Indiana, uh, Chamber of Commerce to do that. We have another one coming up in the fall. I've got one coming up in Fort Worth at HR Southwest uh, in October. I know you have a couple of those, a couple of speaking opportunities come back. So if you're interested in learning more about uh, how, how to change your culture, how to have a a culture that grows and thrives in a never normal world, uh, please reach out to, to Jason or myself or both of us. And uh, we'd love to be uh, guests at, at one of your conferences. Thanks very much. So we want to thank Googleization Nation for tuning in today. We appreciate you. And if you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, please do so. And we'd also love it if you had a chance to uh, drop us a review or a rating. But I'm Jason Cochran signing off for today. And I'm Ibra Wolf. You've been listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization. And until next time, don't let the shift hit your plans. Mm -hmm.